Who's ready to hear the word this morning? You ready? I'm ready. Uh, I like recently came up with my, um, my title for today's message literally like 45 minutes ago. Uh, has anybody ever been in a place that they call like writer's block? All right, let me ask a more um, uh, 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 integral question. Look at me. Don't look at your neighbor. Look at me. Anybody ever been constipated? Someone like, I'm constipated right now. My granny says, uh, drink milk and magnesium so you can be regular. Um, but it's, it felt like this entire week, like, like constipation. Like, I, I, I won't ever be pregnant, but it was like there was something that was inside of me that was like forcing its way out. And it's like the pain of trying to push something out that you're not ready for. And when you're teaching, when we're standing up here, I, we literally cannot teach you something that God does not take us through first. So we're in a series, and it's called Unmovable God. And we've been talking about how like, there are some things that God will never change on, some things that God won't even change his mind on. Like, why do you keep talking to God about prosperity? He told you you were going to have the money, so why do you keep fighting him about it? Like, like, there are things that God wants you to have. And this week was an extreme struggle because God was trying to tell me, you know what, Joshua, I'm not going to, you're not, I'm not going to give you peace. You're just going to have it. I think that sometimes in God's life, he just gets tired of us feeling sorry for ourselves. And he's like, you don't even know what to ask for, so I'm just going to give it to you. So look at your neighbor. Say, have courage. Have courage. Say, like, say it. Like, stop. Hold on. Stop talking to your neighbor like you don't like him. Even if you don't like him, lie. Lie, lie to me at least. Look at them. Say, have courage. have courage. Look at your other neighbor. Say, have peace. Have peace. Look at your neighbor behind you. Say, have joy. have joy. Now yell at me. Say, be encouraged. Be encouraged. That last one was for me. Thank you. Okay. So. Today, I just want to teach you from the word of God. I love telling stories, and the Bible is just an entire book of all of these stories where God proves over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that he's God. Over and over. Like, every single story that you read in the word, God is just proving how dope he is. And I, it's just interesting because, like, I, I wonder, like, how many times does he have to prove something to you for us to get it? You ever been in a relationship where somebody doesn't get that you love them? You ever been in a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, whatever it is, and like every day you have to prove to them how much you love them? It becomes tiring. So I, I honestly think that God today, he, I, I think he just wants to give you something as long as you don't fight him. Like the peace that we were just talking about, the love that we were just talking about, I think God, I know God wants that for every single person. But you want to know something? God will never fight free will. You ever tried to love somebody that didn't want it? You get more beat up in the process because they're rejecting something that you're giving freely. I think God is in the same place. I think God is tired of fighting with his people, so he just leaves us alone to fight by ourselves. It's going to get good in a minute. I know you, get, you need like 30 minutes to warm up, but I'm just going to give you the ending right now. God has no reason to fight with you over what he's already promised. If God promised you that you're going to be the patriarch, the matriarch of your family, and you don't listen, you know what? God has this thing called a skip button. Whoa, is that tough? Like, you're not going to do what I say, so I'm not going to fight you. I'm just going to skip and give it to the next person. So that means all of the places where you were supposed to be effective have now become void. Think about how many people, how many situations have gone untouched because you kept fighting God when he told you what to do. How many people went lost? 
How many people at the grocery store that you were supposed to bump into and just pray for you didn't, and now their life is going a certain way? Like, I really want to break this down for you. Once God says something to you, he does not move on it. Well, God moved on, and he moved past, he moved past it. No, God didn't move past his word. He moved past you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be passed over. Okay, anybody else you want to be passed over? Who doesn't want to be passed over? Like, God, whatever you gave me, give me the courage, give me the strength, give me the energy, the ability to do what you gave me. Because I'll be messed up if I'm six feet under and I didn't do what you gave me. Dr. Miles Monroe used to say this all the time. Papa Miles used to say that the richest place on earth is what? Think about how many dreams are in the graveyard because people were fighting God. You're supposed to make apple. No, God, you know, I'm just some kid from some place and I don't have much. Okay, now give it to Steve Jobs because he's crazy enough to do it. I think that God is looking for people that are crazy enough just to say yes and amen. Parents, the child that you love the most, and you can't lie to us because we all know you have a favorite. Watch this. Raise your hand if you're your parents' favorite. I mean, not me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Kelly. I love you very much. Uh, parents have a, they, they might not say that they're the favorite, but their favorite child has, like, some of the same characteristics. The favorite child, when they say do something, they just go and do it. They don't ask any questions. They don't give them any lip, and they get whatever they want. And then we look at them, and we say, like, oh, you're spoiled. Oh, you're ruined. That's what my granny would say. But I think the same thing happens with God. What if I were to tell you that the people that are being blessed around you, they really don't even care about you. They're just saying yes to God. Like, I don't really think that people, why am I here? I don't really think that people are that smart that they can think about me all day and try to do things to make me jealous. That's a waste of a life to live your entire life trying to make me jealous. No, no, no. What I'm going to do is if God told me I can have it every single day, every single breath that I take, every single sweat drop of that, every single blood vessel that's in my body is going after what God said. Like I ain't got no like, like, like hold back in what God has given me. And when I get there and I get it, I'm going to flaunt it because God told me I could have it. Okay, let's, let's go. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Here we go. Matthew 13. I'm going to give you my title later because usually you give people the title and they're like, oh, my God, they get excited about the title and they don't hear the word. So I'm going to give you the title later on, okay? You can get your cookies after you eat your vegetables. All right. And you can't put cheese on them and cheat. I, nah, my parents used to do that. They're delicious. No, they're disgusting. Okay. So in Matthew 13, we see Jesus with his disciples. Up until this point, we know who the disciples are, right? It's the 12 people that Jesus specifically picked that were going to walk with him through his, his three years of his assignment of preaching the good news until he finally dies. He's walking with his disciples, and it starts to become a thing where everywhere that Jesus would go, a giant crowd of people would follow him everywhere that he would go. Because if you saw somebody who had no arm, and then all of a sudden their arm came, you'd be like, okay, I'll call in sick tomorrow, and I'll follow this guy. Just, I mean, I don't even believe, but I want to see what... You know, like, I just want to see, maybe it'll be a leg tomorrow, or he'll chop somebody's head off and be like, arise, and the head will come. You never know. Like, so there were these people that were following Jesus, and Jesus starts to talk to them in parables. Parables in a simple understanding. Parables are when you give somebody a story rather than giving them, like, the real nitty-gritty concepts, Right? Like, it's when I can have a four-hour conversation with my dad, but I explain that four-hour conversation in four minutes to a two-year-old. So Jesus talks to the masses of people because he understands if I give them the meat and potatoes, like, they don't, they're not even ready to digest 
what I have for them. So Jesus talks to them in parables, and I'm going to fly through these. There are five parables in Matthew 13. The first parable is of the sower, where he explains that seed uh, being planted in good ground uh, being stolen, and that that's like the, the, the kingdom of God. Like if you don't keep refeeding yourself the kingdom, if you don't refeed yourself the word of God, that somebody can literally just come and just snatch it out of your heart. So that's why you have to keep reapplying it. The second parable is of the weeds. It's how somebody sows a seed, which is the word of God, in their life, and then somebody also sows a weed, and the weed chokes out the seed. Meaning that if you don't have enough word in you, anybody can tell you what they want to, and the word will go away if you don't have enough. The third parable that Jesus talks about is the mustard seed and yeast, which is so awesome. Basically, he explains how one little tiny seed, once it grows up to full maturity, that one tree coming from a small seed would be a home for so many because it grows like 100,000 times its size. He also talks about how yeast, once, it's in, once you put it in a flower, like it basically takes over everything and it doesn't ask any questions. The next parable that Jesus talks about is the parable of the hidden treasure. It talks about a man that finds a treasure in a field, and he runs to the person that owns the field, and he sells everything. Look at your neighbor and say everything. everything. Like everything that I have, my drawers, my socks, my shoes, I'm selling your clothes. Like anything I have to do to get this revelation, I'm selling it. He sells absolutely everything just to get one little pearl. That's what knowledge is for some people. You ever been in that situation? Like I'll give anything just for that information. Everybody else looks at you like you're crazy, but you're like, everything that I have is worth that 10 seconds with that person. The fifth parable that he talks about is the net, where he tells his people, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But fish in a net, they become separated. It's like, it's like when you throw a net into water and you catch a whole bunch of fish and then you have to basically separate the good ones from the bad ones. This parable talks about how in your life, everything that you hear, everything that you receive isn't good to eat. So you might catch 100 fish, but out of those 100 fish, there might be only one good one to eat. But it takes your due diligence to go through every fish and check it. Every person in your life is not a good fish to eat from. Just because you have 5,000 friends on Facebook doesn't mean that you should be consuming everything that they're, that they're producing. We live in a world where everybody's a content creator. That's great, and it's kind of foo-foo to me. But you shouldn't be digesting everybody's content. But then get this, this is what happens. So, so Jesus is with these crowds of people and he's with his disciples. And in my mind, I think that Jesus is like, look, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I, I'm, going, I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go find myself a place to pray. So what Jesus does is he tells the people, you know what, just go and spend a couple of days by yourself. And he tells his disciples, you know what, get on this boat and go to this place where I'll tell you once you get there. Jesus had this thing like where he wouldn't tell you where you were going. He would just say, just walk in that direction. Just say yes and amen. Like, stop asking me all about what you're going to run into. Just walk in that direction because I'm God. I wouldn't send you in a direction that would cause you harm. <sighs> so he sends, he, sends the, the, he sends the people this way and he sends the disciples this way. And the significant thing is that he goes up on a hill by himself so that he can hear from God. Sometimes in our lives, it's more important for you to be by yourself so that you can actually hear. Sometimes we ask the question, like, I can't hear God. Maybe it's not God. Maybe it's you have too many people around you that are actually having their hands over your ears rather than lifting them up. Everybody doesn't want you to know God. Everybody doesn't want you to be prosperous. Sometimes people are getting as close to you as possible so that they can sabotage your success. Okay, y'all cold this morning? Y'all all right? So Matthew 13 
53 through 56. I'm going to read the entire text. We're about to get into the word. Can you say the word? Here we go. Matthew 13, 53 through 56. As soon as the meal was finished, he insisted that the disciples get on a boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the people. With the crowd dispersed, he does what? He climbs the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He isolates himself so that he can hear from God. A lot of the times when you feel empty, you don't need to go back to people to be replenished. You need to go back to the source. I'm feeling lonely. Let me go grab, grab, my, grab my girlfriends. No, sweetheart. Why don't you grab an hour in the dark with God? Stop looking for, for pieces from the person that didn't make you. So he stayed there alone late into the night. Meanwhile, say meanwhile, the boat was far out to sea. When the wind came up against them, and they were battered by the waves, and about 4 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. They were scared out of their wits. They said, what? A ghost. <laughs> they said, crying out in terror. But Jesus was quick to comfort them, and he said, what? Courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter, suddenly bold, said, Master, if it's you, call me to come to you on the water. Peter said, if it's you, if you, like, I might not have the faith to do it, but if you tell me, I can. Fathers, this is why it's so important to tell your sons that they can. Because they, it, like, I know I can do it, but once my pop says I can do it, like, I know, no, I can do it. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, like, I have faith enough because I've been followed. I left everything that I had to follow you. So I have faith for that. But if, if you want me to walk on this water, I need you to tell me. Look, look at your neighbor and say, tell me. I believe in this season that you're not just going to feel it's time to quit the job, but that God's going to tell you it's time to go. That you're going to have the courage to leave some of those relationships that you've been egging on for like the past 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years. Well, if God says it, I feel like God in this season is going to be like, leave him. Okay, uh, uh, young lady that brought your girlfriend that needs that message, look at her right now and say, leave him. <laughs> Nobody said anything. They said, like, ain't talking to me, girl. All right, okay. So, <laughs> so Jesus says to Peter, come ahead. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves, say down. He took his focus off of what called him. It's going to be so dope. Okay, thank you, God, for your word. But when he looked down at the waves, churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and started to sink. The minute he took his eyes off of what God said, he started to fail. The minute you start to think you can do it by yourself, you automatically begin to sink. God sent you to the job, and he made it, like, available. He sent you the man. He's an amazing man. Y'all get married. But then if you leave his presence, it never works. He said, uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm so sorry. So uh, where am I at? Oh, he looked under, uh, beneath his feet. He lost his nerve and started to sink. He cried, what? Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down and grabbed his hand. Then he said, faint heart, like, what got into you? Jesus says, I'm the son of God. Like, if you're not going to drown, if you're not, if you're going to drown, today's not going to be the day. Like, I'm walking on water. Matter of fact, I made the water. Like, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm God. I feel like God gets so frustrated with us. Like, he tries to explain how awesome he is. Like, you ever tried to explain your children, like, your children, how dope you are? Like, I'm your mama. Like, any moms in the room? Like, I'm your mama. I'm the beginning and the end and everything in between, Right? Fathers, you ever put your foot down? No? Whoa. Maybe you should start. 
when my pops put his foot down, he ain't got to say nothing. It's like whatever he said, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so Jesus didn't hesitate. He reaches out and he grabs him. So the two of them climbed into the boat and the wind died down. The disciples in the boat, having watched the whole thing, worshiped Jesus saying, this is it. You were God's son for sure. On the return, they beached the boat at Genesaret. I don't, look, look, just leave, leave it alone. Where they beached the boat where they were supposed to be. When the people got wind of that he was back, they sent out word through the neighborhood and rounded up all the sick who asked for permission to touch the hem of his garment, and whoever touched him was healed. My title for today, you ready? It's called Table Etiquette. You sit at the table a little bit different when you know the person that's preparing your meal. If the person can cook, you sit down expecting good food. But if the person can't cook a lick, you kind of hesitant to grab a fork and, and, a, and, a, and a spoon. It's going to make sense in a minute. So I got only a couple of points. Look at your neighbor and say, he only has five, four, four points. Like just four. Just say, I only got four points for you. Just, I know some of y'all in school, some of y'all, the kids are in here like, man, I'm, I'm not in school. It's okay. It's going to be good. I promise. The first point is this. God always gives you a reason to trust him. Anything that's ever happened in your life, there is no reason for you not to trust God. Because God has been here since before you were a thought, and he's going to be here even after we're with him. The storm is violent, but it doesn't overtake Peter. Jesus calls out to Peter to walk on the water, and that is the first reason why Peter can trust God with trusting him with his faith. I think Peter, when he was in the boat, he was looking at God, and like, like I said before, he said, like, I know I can. I have the capacity to do it, but I really just need your cosign to do this. How many things have you walked in in your life and you cosigned yourself? It's kind of like kids in the room. Have you ever forged your parents' signature? Do not raise your hand. I used to do it all the time. But the problem is, is that when I forged their, their, their signature to go on a, uh, like a field trip and I didn't let them know, I got to go on the trip, but I was always missing something. Like, I would go on the trip because I was able to get on the bus, but I didn't have lunch. Like, I was able to go on the trip, but I didn't have money to get on the rides when I was there. Like, I was able to go on the trip, but, like, my parents, I was the last one to get picked up because I never told my parents I need to be picked up. So, like, God is saying, you might have the ability to get yourself in the room. But once you get in the room, there's some stuff that I got that you need to make it work. So God's like, you can, for you can forge my signature all day if you want to. But at some point, somebody's going to see that signature, and they're going to see it as counterfeit. So Peter says to I'm feeling it this morning. Peter says to Jesus, he says, I can forge your name on walking on this water, but I need you to co-sign it. God has given you an amazing, crazy, beautiful dream, and you think you can do it by yourself. No, boo-boo, you cannot. You need God with you. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me move on. Let me move on. God proves himself through what he did for you before. God proves himself to Peter after he jumps out of the boat and lands on the water. Like, if God doesn't do anything else for Peter, he has already proven that he's God. Stop looking for God to save you from your own mess to prove that he's God. He proved he was God when you came out. It's a one in 1.5 billion chance that you're even a human being. You've already beat the odds. So God has already proven that you're here for a reason. Stop trying to get God to prove himself that he's God. God's like, I'm God, get to work. Look at your neighbor say, he's God. Get to work. Look at your other neighbor because they didn't hear you. Uh, we're coming for all y'all. Say, he's God. Get to work. The second point is this. 
Don't waste your energy fighting the wrong things. Once Peter begins to sink, I get this analogy, and I think this was the baby that I was supposed to, like, try to birth, to, like, this week, and it just wasn't happening. I need an epidural or whatever. Isn't that what they give you? Like, you can't feel anything from here down, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Peter's with Jesus, and I think that once he starts to sink, he starts to fight the very thing that wants to save him. Like, the minute he looks down at the waves and looks around him, everything that Jesus was telling him no longer has any power. In a lot of your situations, what you're dealing with, you look at what you're dealing with and you forget what God said. And we understand that whatever you give your attention to, you give it power. So we can pray, God, I need you to take care of these finances. And then you go home and you look at the bills. No matter what God told you, now you've given power to what to give you. You've given power to something to take over your life. God, I'm, I'm tired of being in this relationship. This guy is terrible. This girl is terrible. Like I have this soul tie, but then you keep going back to them trying to make it right. God, I want to lose weight. God, I want to do this thing. I'm going to lose 20 pounds, man. It's my year, 2019. I mean, it's July, but it's still my year, God. This is me. I'm going to do it. But then you keep eating whatever you want. God does not void your decisions. He does, once you've made your mind up, God will not fight you. He's not going to move on it. He says, you're deliberately going against what I've told you to do. Why would I fight against you? My word is enough. So many times we're looking for God to make us feel bad and to condemn us, but the word of God is enough. Say it's enough. When the word says thou shalt not, that's it. Like there's no, there's no addendum. Like there, there, there's, there's no preamble. Like, like there's, there's, there's no uh, amendment to the word of God. Once God says it, it's final. He's just looking for somebody to actually do what he said. Preach. Who said that? Was that the little one? You better get ready because I'm ready to give it up. You can teach, man, or young lady, or baby, or whoever that is. I imagine that the other disciples, as soon as he steps out into the boat, that they start trying to fill his head with things. The minute that Peter starts to take a step out on faith, the people that he thought were his friends are starting to say things. You've been with people all week, all month, all year, your entire life. You've been talking about this business for years and years and years. They've been behind you. They've been behind you. They bought every single terrible T-shirt that you've printed, Joshua. But the minute that you get a big break, the minute you really have to use your faith and take a trip all the way to Chicago and you don't even know if it's going to work, now people want to tell you that it's not going to work. They are friends, though. Like, we're the disciples. Like, we're the 12 that Jesus said, y'all going to do it when I'm dead. And now the same people that, that took the bread, remember we did the, uh, the, uh, the communion before. Like, this is my body broken for you. This is the blood. Like, we're going to do all things through Christ. The same people that made that decision are now the ones that are telling me not to step out of the boat. You got to be really careful who's in your boat. Because a lot of the times the boat is rocking not because of the wind and the rain, but because the people in the boat don't want you to get to your destination. Look at your neighbor. Say, who's in your boat? No, like for real, who's in your boat? Are you the captain of your own ship or are you sleeping in the bottom? Who is driving your life? I feel like Peter, he had to fight what the other guys were saying and keep his eyes on Jesus because he understood, if I start to listen to what they're saying, what I'm about to do, I'm not going to be able to do in my own strength. So I got to hook up with somebody that has more strength than me. All of you other 11 people don't have the same amount of strength that Jesus has in his pinky toe. So I'm going to have to mute all of you and just take the step. Just say, take the step. Somebody in your, in your spirit, you should just take the step. Just right where you are. Like, I'm just, there's a lot of stuff that's telling me not to do it, God, but I'm stepping out on your, like, 
And this is the crazy thing. I'll give you the end. People think that Peter stepped on the water. No, 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 no. When Peter stepped out of the boat, he didn't step on the water. He stepped on Jesus himself. When you take a, when you take a faith jump in Jesus, he literally extends himself for you to land on. Water, water is not buoyant. You cannot walk on water unless it's frozen. So naturally, Peter couldn't walk on the water, but he had to have the faith to understand, if I take this step, I'm stepping on the man of God that made it. Who am I talking to this morning? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, 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 twenty. I just imagine all of you that are watching online, 79, 89. <laughs> Here we go, third point. Third point. No, third point. Is it third point? Yes, third point. Stop confusing me. Third point. Some things are good advice but terrible practice. Did <laughs> y'all feel that one? Some things are good advice but terrible practice. Uh, I, I want to I wanna, I wanna tell you something. So, I absolutely love water, and one day I'm going to have the courage, Aunt Millie, to tell the story of where we almost drowned, but not today. <laughs> so I absolutely love water. I'll take a trip to a sandy beach over a mountain, over, over a desert, over a pretty building any day, because I absolutely love water. But my, my, my love of water comes from this deep-rooted fear. Like, remember how I talked about the abyss? Anybody ever swam too far and then found yourself looking down where you're swimming, where you're treading water and you can't even see the bottom? There's a feeling about it that scares the heck out of me, but it gives me so much energy. It's, it's this thought of like, if something comes and eats me, I literally can't run away from it. So I literally have to do what? Submit myself to the atmosphere. So this is what I start to think. My dad takes me to go to swimming lessons and we go to uh, the YMCA, too expensive. He was working at UNO. Takes me to UNO. All right, we're going to teach him how to swim. Too expensive. So he says, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to do this by myself because there's no reason I'm going to pay $1,000 for four swimming sessions for my son to learn. He's going to learn to swim or he's going to die. And then you know just is what it is. <laughs> the same faith that I had to make him, I'm going to have to use it to bring him back. <laughs> so we went to this amazing pool. You guys know what Gallagher is? Gallagher, I don't care if they build the most beautiful swimming pool in Omaha. Gallagher is always where I'm going to go because there's culture there. All the people of the city are there, white, black, green, purple, blue. Like somebody over here is eating a turkey sandwich with the crust cut off. Somebody over here is eating chicken adobo. The other person over there is drinking boba tea. Like it's just like all the cultures of the world are at the pool. But on this day, it was just me and my dad. So he just throws me in the pool. That was his like, if you're going to swim, you're going to swim. Like we're not even going to talk about your fear of the water. I'm just going to. I'm just going to throw you into it. And my dad used to tell me this thing. He says, if you believe that you're going to drown, you'll never learn to swim. Rather, submit yourself to the water, and the water will actually carry you. Because how many of you guys can swim? You ever seen somebody that can't? What does it look like? It looks like they're fighting the water. Some things are really good advice, but they're bad practice. While I was growing up, I remember I used to go swimming, and I used to have this thing, like, if I go to the pool, I'm not going to teach people how to swim, because if they don't make it, I'm the one. So I'm like, you know what? Just go ahead and do what you got to do. So we went swimming. It was me, Josh, and Brandon. Back in the day, we went to Gallagher Pool, and it was like the first time I've been there in a long time. And we're swimming, and this young boy jumps off the diving board. Brandon, where you at? Do you remember this day? He jumps off the diving board, and he, like, literally starts to drown. 
And somebody from the opposite end of the pool who can't swim starts to give him instructions. <laughs> Great advice, but bad practice. Who got that? Person can't swim, and they're saying, you know, just kick your feet. When you're wading in water, you don't kick your feet because you're going to use a lot more energy kicking these around than doing this. This is your last resort. So as I'm sitting there, I'm fighting with myself, trying to figure out how do I help this young boy, but, I, you know, I'm just going to stay in my place. I think that in a lot of things in your life, God is calling you, and your purpose is pulling at you, but you're saying it's not my time. And God is saying all of these people, all of these different worlds are getting really bad advice, but you're the only one that has the real stuff to put in practice. So I'm sitting there, and this young man is taking air and taking, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, he's taking water in. And, and, he, and he's, it seems like he's drowning. And, and I honestly just wanted to help him. But the, one, the second thing that my father taught me when you go swimming is this. First, you submit to the water. But if you ever get in a space where you need to be saved, you have to do what? Submit to the lifeguard. Because if somebody comes to save you and you're fighting them, they will choose their life over yours. When you're in a plane and it starts to go down, what do they say? Before we get out of here, you need to grab the mask and put it on your, because you can't help anybody if you can't help yourself. What Peter had to understand is that even though I'm starting to sink, everything around me is telling me to tread water. But I'm just going to use my faith and reach my hand out and ask God for help. And a lot of the things that you're dealing with, you think that you can dig yourself out of the hole. And God is just saying, just reach your hand out and just, just try me. Just, just try me. This young man is sitting there taking in water and he's about to drown. And somebody that doesn't have, has no clue, they never even began, they, they don't even know how to swim, is telling this person how to swim. Some things are really great advice. But bad practice. Your girlfriend ain't got a man trying to tell you how to keep a man. Girl, this is what you need to do. Excuse me? I got my master's, and people were trying to tell me how to do it, and, like, they didn't even finish, like, like, like undergrad. Not saying that's a bad thing, but, like, stay in your lane and let me keep myself in mind. Run with the people that are in your lane. Stop crossing over lanes, asking people to help you who ain't got no business. I don't know who that's for this morning. Like, like Peter couldn't ask the people in the boat for help because they were in the boat. If they had been in the water, maybe he could have asked them because they were all in the same situation. Stop stepping out of your situation and grabbing people, bringing them into, the, into your situation, thinking that they're going to help you. I know you're probably busy playing Candy Crush or texting your girlfriend, boyfriend, or whatever it is, but I need your eyes on me this morning. I need you to understand that God wants you to understand something. Stop bringing people into your situation that cannot help you. Amen. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I'm the lifeguard. Like, I created the ocean. You don't have enough energy to tread all this water. you got to come to me. In a lot of our situations, we look, you have to go to God. God says, why are you fighting me? Like, I'm the lifeguard trying to save you, Peter. Like, like, like why, why would you fight or try to, try to bite the hand that's feeding you? Here we go. Fourth point. That makes sense? Fourth point. Stop fighting and eat. When drowning, you must, you must make the decision of who you are going to trust. Are you going to trust you or the person trying to save you? I don't think that God really abandons people. I think that he just waits and he sits on the side of the pool as you try to tread water. He's never too far away. I want you to understand that the, the hill, the mountain that Jesus went up to pray in, 
was the same hill that gave him the vantage point to watch the disciples in the storm. So the same place that Jesus went to pray and hear from God was the same place that he was able to look down on the ocean, the sea, and see the disciples. Like, I want you to understand today that Jesus, God himself, like the Holy Spirit, El Shaddai, like the one that's here forever and ever, he's never too far away from your situation. I don't know who that's for this morning, but God is never too far from your situation. Like, you might think that you're by yourself. You might think, like, Lord, this is the final straw. Like, I'm done. Like, he can, he can put hands on me one more time, and I'm done. And Jesus is like, no, baby, look, I'm, I'm trying to get something to you, but I want you to understand that I'm never too far. So while he's up on the hill praying, he also has his eye out for them. So you must give up in order to be helped, and that's how you use your faith. The nature of your struggle determines the nature of your strategy. Write that down, please. What you're facing is going to determine the weapon you have to use. Can I, can I story hop? Let's talk about David. David, like Peter, had to step out on faith and use what God gave him rather than what he had. Peter had to use his faith when he jumped out of the boat to land on the water. And, Peter, and, and, and David had to use his faith to kill a, a man that was 12 foot, like 700 some pounds. Like Shaq on Shaq, with Shaq. With shacks around him, fused together to make the uber shack. Like that's, like that's who David had to fight. And if you look through your word, David wasn't taller than 4'11". Like he, little guy at the time. He's little guy. So we had to use his faith. The nature of your struggle determines the nature of, of, of your strategy. David couldn't defeat Goliath with his own, like, slingshot. But God put his super on his natural to make it happen. Peter couldn't use his own natural legs to walk on water, but God put his super on his natural to make that possible. A lot of the things that you're struggling with today is because you're trying to naturally do it. But what I'm trying to get to you today is, is, is just, to, just to ask you to allow God to put his super on top of your natural. Can you say that? I'm going to let God put his super on my natural. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to not, like, not struggle through what I'm going through, and I'm just going to allow God to come in. In order for Peter to be saved, he had to do two things. He had to say something, and he had to reach out. I, I don't want you to miss this. In order for Peter to be saved, he had to do two things. He had to say something and reach out. First thing he had to do was say something. He had to confess that he needed help. There are a lot of us in this room that come equipped with this thing on default, and it's called pride. I don't need any help. I don't want any help. If it's going to happen, I'm going to do it. And you look like the kid that I watched in the pool who's literally drowning thinking he can do it by himself. And the crazy thing about it is that people that love you, they'll watch you drown. David had to understand, like, if I'm going to kill Goliath, I got to do something. So before he kills Goliath, he prays to God, right? Right? Like in, the, like in the 16th chapter, he prays to God and he, and he says, he says, God, that it be by your strength and not by my own. God, that it be your hand that would deliver them into our hands. Right? The second thing that you have to understand is that after you say something, you actually have to reach out your hand. You got to do what? Say something. Reach out. What? Uh-huh. One more time. Uh-huh. Reaching out means that you give up. There are a lot of things that we place into God's hand and we take it back once, he, once it starts working out. Like, we say, you know what, God? This is my relationship with my girlfriend. 
and I, I just I trust you to do what you want, do what you will. We have a couple of good dates, everything looks good. I'm like, oh, snap, good, I got it from here. You've taught me how to tread water, but you know what? I don't need you, so like, I'm going to put on these floaties. And then the floaties dehiss and we lose air. And we give it back to God. She almost left me, Lord. Please take her. This is what a lot of our lives look like. God, please, please take her. Then it starts working out again. It's a house that you weren't supposed to buy, but you bought it anyway. God said, buy this one, but you bought this one because you're trying to have clout with the family members who are really just trying to be just like you. You're trying to beat them, and they're like, we just trying to get on your level, bro. So why are, there's no competition. <laughs> but as soon as you get into the house, you get it all furnished and varnished, and it's looking like whatever you want off a of QVC. You're like, God, I got this. I'm going to have a barbecue and stunt on everybody, everybody from the office, everybody. I'm stunting on all of them, right? Then you get to the party and you find out there's a leak in the basement. But this is what a lot of our lives look like. God, I'll take care of it and I'll take it from here when it's good. But when it gets bad, I need you to run to my rescue. But there becomes a time where I think that Jesus, God himself, just stops coming to the pool because we become the children that cry wolf. Like, I know they're going to jump in the water and they're going to need me, so I'll just wait until they call for me. I won't be there when it works out. So then you're like, you, 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 you upgrade. You upgrade. Well, I don't need floaties anymore, so I'm, I'm going to get a life jacket. Then that deflates. Well, okay. I'm going to get a boat. And we start making excuses of how we think we can outdo God. And then it starts looking like you don't really trust him because if you really trusted him, you would give it to him. And you know what you would do? You would take a, a step in the opposite direction. Once you give it to God, just like Mother Wood said, leave it there. You don't need to watch God and make sure that he does it. Let's go back to parents. Have you ever promised your child on like Monday that they would do something on Friday? Every day, what happens? Hey, mommy. So... Um, the thing, you remember, you, rem you remember, okay, you remember, Tuesday morning, hey, mom, this is some good rice. You know what's also good is what you were going to let me do on Friday. <laughs> yes, Joshua, I know, oh, okay, I, I, you're mommy, you're, you're dope, I know. Thursday comes, so tomorrow's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> My bag is packed. I already called Caleb, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna spend the night, and we're going to play video games, but tomorrow's Friday. And my mom says, she, what does she say? I know. Stop taking your old issues to God. Why? Because he knows. I don't know who that was for. Well, God, remember, you said you were going to deliver me, and God's like, do you have the faith that I'm going to do it, or you have to keep asking me, keeping your eye on what you gave me? You know what? Here, you take it. You take it. You keep it. I don't need it anymore. Because if you're going to keep watching it, you might as well watch it within your own vicinity. But the minute you choose, you want to, you can just toss it back. Toss your issues to God and let him have them. It doesn't look like it all the time. There's storms all around, Peter. 
The waves are all over the place. David is looking at shack on shack on shack on shack. Remember, I just explained that, like, like I can't beat this guy. I don't have the capacity, but you know what, God? I'm going to give it to you because you're unmovable. And the same God that made me is the same God that made the situation. Like, you made the storm. You made the waves. You made the stars. You made the galaxies. You were so bad, you did it in six days, and then you created another day just to sleep. Like, our God is that bad. I created the moon, the stars, people. Vegetation, I gave you greens and cornbread. Then I gave you a cow for a slab of ribs. Then on the seventh day, I was like, you know what? There's supposed to be only six days in the week, but I'm so dope, I'm going to give myself another day so I can get some rest. That's the God that you serve. That's the God that you serve. So here we go. I, can, I, can, I, can, I show you, can I show you something? Okay, Matt, I need you to come here. Can you bring me my table and chair, please? Somebody, anybody. I, I want to show you how, how, God, um, how God gave this to me. Can you guys give Maddie a hand as she comes, please? Oh, you look dope. That's dope. Where'd you get the shirt? Oh, you got makeup on too? Oh, just perfect. It's perfect. So I, I want you, can we do another scripture? Is anybody having fun this morning? Like, Church should be like the funnest place you go. Like, and thus said the Lord. No, bro. Like, I want to laugh at least. Like, um, Ephesians 6 through 12. And for all of you people that know your word, you should, you should know what this one says. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of the wickedness in heavenly places. What this, what this is saying is that we don't really fight with this. You're fighting with principalities and powers. A lot of the times when you're dealing with people that you disagree with, you're not fighting with them. You're fighting with this. A lot of the times when God tells you that he's going to do something for you, you're not, you're not fighting God like with flesh and blood. You're fighting the way that he wants you to think. The word of God says that so a man so is. So if you've already thought that you're a failure, then you have already failed. If you think you're divorced, then you're already Like, don't get weird thinking like, oh my God, I thought that this morning. No, 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 no. I'm saying if you think something, you conceive it. And this is the big word. If you accept it, now God has to work on it. Remember we talked about it, uh, Pastor talked about it last week. He said, um, the I am. The minute, whatever you put at the end of I am, that's what God becomes and that's what he brings you to. So if you say, I am sick, God helps you get sick. He doesn't make you sick because God doesn't want to bring harm to you, but he brings sickness to your doorstep. So can I, can I, can I show you how, how God showed me? Look at your neighbor say, stop biting the hand that's trying to feed you. Take a seat. Watch this. So I went to McDonald's this morning, and I was like, hey, can I get a box? And the guy was like, a box? I was like, yeah, I need the box for an illustration. He's like, for what? I was like, I, for church. He's like, oh, that's dope. So what church do you go to? I gave him the live stream. So if you're watching, Timothy. <laughs> if <he's> watching. <laughs> so let's go back to David. David understands he goes from killing Goliath to murdering 10,000 people by himself. He, all these different battles, and he fights, he fights all these different battles. He, he destroys all these different people. And at the end of his day, so the end of his day, in Psalms 23 and 5, he goes from fighting battles, being a person of war, 
to, 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 to saying something really simple. Let, let me read the Bible. He goes from fighting battles to saying something like, you know what, you, you make me to lie down in green pastures. You prepare a table for me in what? The midst. He goes from being a mighty war god, like I killed people for a living, to saying, you know what, but, but you'll prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Can, can I show you all how I, how I saw it? Brandon, come here. I believe that God wants to give you everything that you need on a golden platter. But what happens when the way that Maddie thinks starts to fight me? If I'm trying to get, if I'm trying, you're supposed to, you messed it all the way up. Come on, brother. Come on, man. Work with me. Work with me. Work with me. Turn around. You're supposed to fight me. There it is. There it is. What happens? What happens when what God is trying to get to you, your brain, like God's trying to get to you, and the way you think is fighting him? This is what you, you want deliverance for your family. So God's like, all right, here we go. And then he runs into your thinking. Like God says, this is the money that you need to get into school. And then the, right when you, you, you run into doubt, he runs into your doubt. This is the thing. God does not fight free will. So this is what's going to happen. The minute that he feels opposition, he's going to stop and he's going to lay it down. A lot of you are a lot closer to your purpose and your promise, but it's so far away because the way you think is keeping it from you. God's not trying to keep it from you, but it's the way in which you think. It's the way in which you see the world. So God isn't going to fight with you. That's why the word of God says that you must be renewed by the transforming of your what? The way in which you think is going to alter your faith. Having faith is literally like being insane. Like you really got to think about it. Like when somebody says, take courage, like I'm David, right? This guy is shack on shack on shack, uber shack. Like what do you mean have faith? God says you got to be a little bit crazy to follow me. Because if you did it in your own strength, you would tell people, look what I did. But God says I can use the faith of a mustard seed. So once you get your faith up to a certain level, your doubt disappears. And God's able to do one of two things. I want you to watch something. Come here, Brandon. He's able to serve you in the midst of fighting your own doubt. Once you turn your faith on, once, who is this for? Once you turn your faith on, you go from, he goes from fighting your doubt and your fear and your unfaithless thinking to giving you what you want and fighting your doubt for you. Let me do it again. Let, let, let me just give you what you need because evidently this scripture is not working, man. Let, let, let's, let's, let's do this. God, I need provision for my family. But you keep fighting with this nine to five job that you hate. So God says, change the way that you think. You know what, God, every time I walk into this job, I'm the person that's keeping it all afloat. So God says, okay, eat your sandwich, and I'm going to fight for you on this end. Remember that job promotion that you wanted? I'm going to make that happen for you. Remember that child that you wanted out of jail? I'm going to make that happen for you. Remember that sickness that was in your body? Turn on your faith, and I'll fight the sickness for you. I want you to understand something this morning. God is not going to fight for you. For, he's not going to fight you for what he promised you. He's not going to 
He's not going to fight you. Jesus tells Peter, he says, I want you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Like, I want you to walk on the water. But if you don't believe it, I'm not going to force myself to make you believe it. God is in a lot of our lives trying to force us to believe things that, we, that he already knows is true. So can I prove to you something? I got like one minute. Can I do that? Can you guys give him a hand? Thank you, man. Thanks, Brandon. We're going to work on it. Uh, put my food down. Put it down. You see that, Timothy? That's a whole dollar and 15 cents, bro. You try to take from me. Somebody say unmovable God. Say it again. So there are six things that I want you to know about the man that wants to set your table. Because you've got to have the right table etiquette for the person that's setting your table. Remember what I said before? If you understood the meal that God was trying to give you, you'd sit at the table just a little bit different. You'd come dressed a little bit different. I dress a little bit different when I go to McDonald's than when I go to the 801 Chop House where a steak by itself is like 60-some bucks. Like, I dress a little bit different because the occasion calls for something different of me. The purpose that God has for you calls for a different version of you. Like the version that you know, you're too familiar with it. God's like, I'm going to call you, oh my God, I'm going to call you to another level of a person that you don't even know. But instead of telling you who that person's going to be, I'm going to tell you to do something simple, like step out on faith on the, out of the boat. Because if I showed you who you're supposed to be in the next 10 years, that would scare you. If jumping out of the boat scares you, you're going to be even more afraid of what you're going to be in 10 years. Look at your neighbor, say, look at what you look at now and just wait, of, just wait to see what you see later. If you think I'm bad now, just give, God a, just give God some more time. If we understood the man that was giving us what we give, if we understood the man that was setting the table for us with the food, we, we, we would sit at the table a little bit different. I want to make sure you understand that God doesn't want to give you just a happy meal, but he wants to get you a six-course meal in your life. He doesn't want to give you just one blessing that costs a dollar. He wants to give you a meal that you can't even pay for. But in order to trust God in stepping out on the boat, in order, like Peter, in order to trust God like David had to to, 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 to defeat uh, Goliath, there are a couple of things that we have to understand about our God. And this is what I want you to do. Look at your neighbor and say, lean in. Like, forget about what you think. Forget about what you think you know about God. Forget about if you have resentment towards our church or whatever. Just, just listen to God just for a second. Like, tune me out. Listen to him. Tune me out. Listen to him. Here we go. The first thing is that God is self-existing without origin. One thing that Peter had to understand is that God is, he just is. He never was, never will be. Like, he, he just exists. Can you say exists? In the word it says, and he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Colossians 1.17. I want you to understand this morning that God is infinite. And he's, it's one of the hardest attributes to understand about God, but I want you to understand that God is self-existing and without origin. So he doesn't live in the world that we live in, which means that he can manipulate it however he wants. Your situation is not bigger than God. Second thing I want you to understand about God's character and what he's unmovable in is that God never changes. Say he's faithful. In 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy 13, 5, 2 Timothy 13, 5, it says that when we become faithless, he is still faithful. That was going to be my subtext. So you can write that underneath. The subtitle is faith-full. God wants to replenish somebody's faith this morning. 
Like you're on the end of your rope. You're on the last thread of string. And God just wants to not just give you a rope, but he wants to pick you up and put you back on solid ground. I know you felt like you've been dangling. You felt like you've been like free falling for forever. And I think that God just wants to give you the stability of understanding that I am the rock that never moves. The second thing, the third thing that God is, is God is self-sufficient. Look at your neighbor and say, he doesn't need anything from anybody ever. There is nothing that you can do to help God. So it'll change the way that you see him. Babies understand that they can't do anything to help themselves, so they totally submit their bodies to whoever's holding them. That's what God wants. A lot of us, we ran away from the bosom of God, the place where we're the most safe, because once we start to walk, we think we can do it on our, by ourselves. But I'm, I think that God is looking for us to take our entire life and do what? Place it in his hands. The fourth thing that God is, is that God is loving. I, I, I want you to know that God himself is love. Listen to this. God is incapable of feeling shame on your behalf. Like when you do something and you feel sad about yourself, God doesn't, God does not have the ability to feel shame. Like God doesn't look at you and be like, wow, I really messed up. No, 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 no. God doesn't ever look at where you are. He, look at, he looks at where you're going. So he, you can never disappoint God enough to where he'll leave you. God's intent isn't to condemn you. And God spares guilt at all costs. So if you ever feel in your life that you're not worthy, that you're not worth it, that, 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 that everybody should be looking over you, I want you to understand, conceive and eat up this morning, that God does not feel sorry for you. But God wants to fight for you. Like we talked about before, God is love. In this love of God, in 1 John 4, 7 through 12, it says, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his only begotten son to be a proportionate for our sins. God looked at your sin and didn't say you. He looked at your sin and sent something to clean it up. That's the amazing God that we serve. The fifth thing that God is is that God is all-powerful. Can somebody say all-powerful? That means that God is always flexing all the time. In every single one of your situations, God is flexing on everything. He's proving how powerful he is by showing how big his muscles are, and he's got the biggest ones out here. God has no limit on what he can do, period. Say period. period. Listen to this in Job. It says, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer, I'm sorry, their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes along and confines you in prison and convenes a court, who can oppose him? Surely he recognizes deceivers, and when he sees evil, does he not take note? I want you to understand that every single time that you felt hurt, every single tear that you have cried, what we understand in Job is that God has taken note of every single pain that you ever had. Like every, every single pain that you are feeling even right now in your body, the person that hurt you, the thing that took your faith, I want you to understand that God has taken not a mental note, but he has literally written it on his heart. When that person left you, you I want you to understand that that person left me too. God is looking at you. When you got divorced, we got divorced. But I want to make sure that you understand that you're not a divorcee, but you're still a son or a daughter of the Most High God. 